Coming to you from the Eon Project Studios, perched high atop the banks of the majestic Blackstone River. Greetings from the jewel of the Blackstone Valley. You're listening to Experts of Nothing with Mike and Jay. I had to turn up the intro uh, you know, energy you were, a little bit. You were, on, you were on point with that today. Yeah, last time I was a little downtrodden. Yeah. Mm. Well, you explained why. I did. I wasn't feeling well. I was a little under the weather. Yeah. But, uh, actually, you know what? I had a I had a, 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 a listener comment that, that actually mentioned that you seemed uh, uh, un, un with it. Un, oh, okay. Well, I, I un, need to uh, I need to uh, shake that that off. You know, we all have a bad day. You're not now normally and again. that way. I will I will say no. That. You know, uh, of course, Tom Brady didn't have a great game last week either. No, we won't so, talk about the New England Patriots. And I'm like the Tom Brady of uh, podcast broadcast. Was that? Would it be broadcasting? Yeah, we're sending it, things out into the Ethernet. Yeah, but either, it's it's on either. it's on it's wired though. It's not out into the into the. Uh, this is true. The well, doldrums. You know what? Somebody is probably listening someplace on a speaker, and that is the, the so the sound waves are being disseminated. Oh, so that makes. But sense. those those uh, those those uh, disperse after a period, don't they? They do. So today is episode two of a three episode arc. Uh, yeah, that yep. we are discussing the Amityville Horror case. So we're partially halfway up the arc. Whenever you say Amityville Horror, there should be a dun dun dun. Oh, I might have to add some. <laughs> comes in like his production uh, some, uh, sound effect. Vincent Price esque. You like Vincent Price? You know, I did. I, I, as a youth, He's I used to now. like him. No, he is dead. He's long dead. But you know, he, Vincent Price was a. You know, he was. For those of you who don't know, we have some younger folks who listen to the show. Mm. Was a uh, famous horror actor. He was uh, for back in the day, Vincent Price, and he actually had a very famous voice. Uh, you can hear him on uh, Thriller, on yes. the Michael Jackson Thriller. That's uh, right. Track, and also the, my. You you may or may not remember this. Do you do you remember that Vincent Price actually did a guest shot on Scooby Doo? Scooby-Doo had a lot of guests. He did. Yes. He, most notably, Batman and Robin. Yep. Uh, the Three Stooges. A, the Three Stooges. Abbott and Costello. Yeah. But he also uh, had Vincent Price. Yeah, I believe it. You know, I, I loved the... Uh, I, I, I'm revealing something about myself here. Uh, Michael Jackson, the thriller. Yep. Uh, behind the scenes. I don't know if you remember the behind the scenes video. It was a, a making of the thriller. That's John video. Landis created that. Yes. That was awesome, man. I love seeing that, The uh, how they did the, the special the effects scenes. and everything. It was cool. Yes. Michael Jackson was a very talented man. He was. And his afro, too. Yeah. Although, towards the end, he didn't have an afro. Back when he was a black man. But anyway, back in the 70s, he had a big afro. So anyway, so uh, before we get into the, the second part of the Amityville Horror case, which we are going to be discussing the paranormal aspects mm. of the of the Amityville Horror case. Last week, we talked about the true crime aspects. We talked about the DeFeo murders. We talked about the police investigation and all that. And what we're going to do today is we're going to tie in yep. uh, the, the subsequent paranormal claims uh, and the the well, very well known Amityville horror uh, that we know today. That's true. We we hope to answer a lot of the questions. You know, uh, a lot of people have read the book, seen the movie, and they think they know all. But uh, we're going to shed some light on it. For but you before people. we do that, I wanted to uh, give a quick listener shout out. Oh, is it shout out or shout out? Sh- shout like you're shouting. Like I'm shouting. I don't like that. I'm going to mention a, a listener. Okay. So a very uh, uh, one of our uh, listeners from from the very beginning. By the name of Christine, oh, sent me a uh, a very interesting. Hello, Christine. Yes, sent me a very interesting uh, message, and it includes something that we are. It it fits right in with the show, right in with the show, and you know why? Why is that? Because it's something that's both melodious and malodorous. Oh, so so say that three times quick. Yeah, all right. Melodious and malodorous. So I'll, I'm I'm going to try an experiment here. Okay. So. Uh, I have something on my phone. I'm going to try to play it into the microphone. Play it into the mic? All right, we'll see how that goes. So this is actually from Christine. Yep. It's called The Most Beautiful Fart of All Time. Oh. Okay. Listen up. 
So actually what I did was I sent it back to you. So I want you to play it. I'll try to narrate this. Narrate it as it goes. This says, the greatest fart I ever did. Okay, so that was pretty good, right? What's so special about that again, it says. Listen again. Oh. You're going to slow that down, I think. It's going to slow down. It's saying it's slowing down. That is a major seventh arpeggio in the key of B flat with a trill at the end. It's got a trill. Here it is played by a flute. (laughs) And again by my butt. That's almost the same thing. (laughs) It says he pulled this composition out of his arse. (laughs) Rectum opus. That's 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 beautiful, man. I think Mozart would be proud. So so thank you, Christine, for in in uh, enhancing our lives for just a few moments. It was in B flat for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. B flat. Oh. Anyway, so thank you for that little toilet humor. So anyway, so what we're going to discuss today uh, is the paranormal aspects of the Amityville horror case. That's true. So should we should we uh, recap slightly what we did last week, just so that everyone, if you didn't catch last week's show, you should probably stop now. Rewind and listen to Boy, last week's episode. You just peaked the mic. Don't yell into there. You're going to break my uh, computer system. So don't, yeah, don't do that. But listen to last week's show. Uh, if not, you can you can press press ahead. That's fine. We'll, we'll deal with you. Sure. As we go. So, well, yeah, I mean, just, just quickly, it's just uh, the murders that took place at the yes. at the home of the uh, the famous Amityville Horror case. Yeah, so there was six murders at 112 Ocean Avenue in 1975. We talked about Butch DeFeo was arrested, ultimately tried for the killings. And uh, when we left Butch last, mm. he was in the clutches of the police department. That's right. And, and, and he was about to go on trial for the murders. That's well, correct. he was already in the trial. Yeah, so... Basically, what what happened was, um, you know, a year, basically around a year after the murders took place and shortly after the conviction of of Butch DeFeo, a uh, young, happy married couple by the name of George and Kathy Lutz uh, purchased the home. What a great name. Lutz. Lutz. They purchased Mr. Lutz, you did not turn in your algebra homework. Oh, my God. Mr. Lutz. That's kind of scary. Sorry, go ahead. You could be a math teacher. I could. You don't have the skill set for it, though. No. So George and Kathy Lutz... uh, they bought the home where the murders took place for $80,000. That was a nice swallow you just did. Thank you. $80,000? Oh. What a bargain. Hey, you know what you didn't do? What? You didn't do your traditional no, sip gonna and do, win. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. No, we're going to build suspense for oh, that. Oh, we're going to build that up? Yeah, we're going to do that in the middle. Okay. So George and Kathy Lutz, they moved in, uh, and that was uh, 1976, I believe. Yes. Um, it was in the winter of 1976. That's correct. December 1976. And they had some kids. Uh, actually, they were Kathy's kids from a, a previous marriage. That's correct. They were uh, two boys and a girl. And they, they moved in there. Did yeah. you notice that, the, that throughout this whole story, what you're not going to hear too much about is the kids? You, you very rarely hear anything yeah, you about don't. the kids. You don't. But although they do come up in the movies, that they, you notice. They do. And then we're going to talk about the movie and the subsequent stories and everything after that. But anyway. They also had a... So the, anyway, the kids, the three kids were Danny, age nine. Ooh. There was Christopher, age seven. And Missy, age five, at the time of moving in. Uh-huh. And they also had a Malamute lab mix. Malamute. Is it mute or moot? Moot, I believe. Malamute. Malamute. Because if it was Malamute, it wouldn't be able to bark. So it doesn't bark. It's, no. bark, it's a barkless uh, That's right. bark, mix. It's like a barkless barker longer. Oh. So as they moved in, I guess shortly after they moved in, supposedly... Um, well, their, their stay in the house was very short. It was. Very, very short. 
Short, so, shorter than uh, uh, than a month. So I think what we'll do is we'll talk a little bit of uh, uh, the background. We'll talk about some of the, you know, exactly what happened to them, the paranormal claims um, that came up because of their stay there. Well, let's talk about this for just a moment, if I could just back sure. up. So as I said before, Butch DeFeo, who killed his entire family, was in the clutches of the police department. Correct. And was on trial for his life, basically. Well, and we talked about the trial last week a little bit, but what leads right into the, the Lutz family moving in is that the, towards the end of the trial, a, a lawyer, a Butch's lawyer by the name of William Weber, mm. uh, whose name will become very important, uh, future, uh, futurely, that's it, not a word. It is now. In the future of this show, William Weber, remember that name, uh, came up with the idea of mitigating the, mitigating the circumstances around the, the murders to, to maybe get his client off or uh, released on or, or sent to a mental institution instead of a prison. Right. And the way that they did that was Butch started uh, testifying that he heard voices in the home and actually witnessed hooded cloaked figures. That's correct. That told him to kill his family. So I just wanted to add that because it actually leads right into what we're going to talk that, about. Yes, that's going to lead into where this all came from. This is happening, as, as Jason just mentioned, right before the Lutz family moved in in 1976. So one of the one of the prevailing myths um, about about the Lutzes moving in is that they didn't know anything about the murder or the, or the case. Correct. Um, the incident that happened there prior to moving in, which is obviously not true. Um, they, they themselves were um, from the local area. Right. I believe. So, I mean, that was big news. That was big news around the country, but especially in that area. Yeah, um, you, you couldn't have lived in the New York, uh, New Jersey area and not known about the, the Fayo case just because it was it was sensationalistic. Right. So George was a he was a surveyor by trade um, and he was hoping to use this home as a as a, a headquarters for his business. And he was also a former Marine. Oh, he was. I yes, didn't know he was that. A former United States Marine. Oh, that explains why he's tapped. That explains many things. One, I thought one of the creepier aspects of the story was the fact that when they bought the house, a lot of the Fayo furniture was left behind. That's correct. They actually uh, purchased the furniture as a, as a, a package deal. But you know what? And, and this is true of any uh, case. Well, I would imagine I've never bought a house where multiple murders have taken place in. But I have to imagine that it's not a high selling point for most people. Right. Most people wouldn't want to buy a house that had such a tragic history. So this this became this case. Uh, the Amityville horror case became the stepping off point, really, for uh, going forward. A lot more other cases, similar cases, um, as well as um, a lot of the paranormal uh, gurus, if you will, in the field, yeah. in the investigative field, kind of made their, well, we're gonna cut talk their about teeth that. on this case. Yeah, we're going to talk about how some people made their reputation, based their reputations on it, and continue to do it to this day, even though the, the uh, claims have been... Uh, deemed as spurious mm. at best spurious i've never heard that word well look it up oh all right. you learn new things every day so one of the first things they reported happening to them when they moved into the home were you know just pretty innocuous things doors opening and closing on their own um strange noises uh things banging around normal which, ha- haunted house stuff exactly which you know in an older home isn't out of the complete you know realm of possibility it, it happens uh but you know being that kathy was a roman catholic uh, practicing i believe that's correct she had a priest um, she wanted to have a priest come and bless the home. Um, That's correct. Pr- prior to moving in, that is a uh, old uh, Catholic tradition. As a matter of fact, I grew up in a Catholic home, as I know you did. I'm not sure if you had uh, um, priestly visits to bless your new home. I believe we did have one. Did you really? Yeah, one of the yes, uh, we did move uh, when I was a youngster, and I do. I think I remember a priest coming. Although nothing happened to that priest, supposedly is what happened to this priest. Mm. So anyway, Father Pecoraro. That's his right. Name, and he came to the home, and and. You have to understand, if you're not familiar with the Amityville case, what we're reporting now is what they reported, not what actually occurred. We're just saying what they said. 
Correct. So there are some discrepancies in the stories, and we're going to get to that, you know, in a little bit. But so according to the story of the Lutzes, Father Pecoraro came in to bless the home and uh, met with some uh, otherworldly resistance. That's right. He heard some disembodied voices. That's right. Supposedly he was uh, overtaken by flies. Yes. As he was blessing the home. I think that happened in my home. You know, you've noticed that the flies come in like in uh, in the springtime and in the summer. They do. You know, because, you, you know, you want to leave the doors and windows open to uh, get let the fresh air uh, permeate the home. Well, not only that, you ever notice this about flies? Yeah. That they can crawl. A fly can get into a minuscule yeah. spot. But then you leave the door wide open and it can't seem to figure out. No, it can't its get its out. way out. No, no. it's just going to bounce no. into the sides. How about when you have one in your car? You got one in your vehicle <laughs> and it's sw- it's flying all around. You keep putting the window down. Every time you put the window down, it flies to the other side. What's the purpose of a fly anyway? Yeah, just to annoy me. Who created the fly? And mosquitoes? I don't understand. Well, it's all part of the, uh, you know, nature. That's a smarter, they have to be smarter than me, I guess. I guess. Anyway, so Father Pecoraro, yep. he's in the home. He, he He's, he's uh, enveloped by flies. And here's the, a disembodied voice say, get out. It sounded just like that. Actually, if you watch the movie, the movie is actually pretty creepy. It's, it is. Because it's, it's a 70s, movie. you know, it's a grainy, yeah, who's the, uh, seedy 70s who's movie. Who's the guy that was in that? It was um, James Brolin. James Brolin. He had yeah. the big beard yeah. and everything. He had the flowing feathered locks. You know, James Brolin made a uh, cameo appearance at the end of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, <laughs> he played the real-life Pee-wee in the story of Pee-wee the, yes, at the end. that's correct. It, when, when Pee-wee plays the... Uh, the bellhop, that's and right, he, and and they have a voice dubbed over him. He goes, "Paging Mister Herman." That's right. That's, that's right. A, that's exactly right. I remember that. Oh, how about that obscure reference? So anyway, so the the Catholic priest comes in to bless the home, uh, and he he hears that, and, and supposedly he, at that time he tells the Lutzes that the house may be, uh, I don't know if he used the word haunted, but he, it may have spirits attached. Correct to the home, and supposedly uh, through the story as well that the that the that. Father Pecoraro had some issues back at the church as well. That's correct, yes. Supposedly, supposedly, again, according to the movie, and we're going to talk about how the movie became in the book, mm. which the movie became after the book, but supposedly that the entities followed Father Pecoraro back to the um, back to the rectory when he had, uh, supposedly he was afflicted with boils. You ever have a boil? I don't I even know what a boil is. I can't say I've had a boil. Sort of blister, no. a blood, bl- I think it's like blister. a gigantic zit. Boils, bleeding palms, a fever, and the, this is my favorite, the smell of excrement supposedly followed him around, which, you know, could be a hygiene issue. It could be. More than anything. You know, the uh, those old school priests weren't known for their hygiene. No, they didn't really care too much about that. No. Anyway. So they some of the other things that the Lutzes experienced were extreme fluctuations of temperature, which, as you know, from most uh you know, extreme paranormal cases. This is this is a, a common occurrence. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll be sitting there, everything feels normal, then all of a sudden you'll be hit with a cold blast. Right. Or a bl- Usually it's a cold blast, but it, it can be a blast of heat as well. So would you say that, and according to the research that you did for the show, would you say that um, the uh, the manifestations or the, or the uh, maybe that's not the appropriate word, the, the occurrences of paranormal, supposed paranormal activity began to ramp up after the blessing? They, well, yeah, right I around mean, the same because the blessing happened right when they moved in, sure. And this stuff started happening very, and it started to escalate. And and this actually fits a pattern that you may or may not be familiar with in the paranormal. Actually, I think uh, Nicole uh, Magic talked about it. Yep. When you, uh, if you do things, uh, if you're trying to to do a cleansing or a blessing on a home or any place, and you don't do it effectively, you don't do it all the way. You could end up just pissing something off. Correct. And that's what creates even worse of an environment. Yeah, so the, the experience is ramped up as as the 28 days were, were coming forward. 
Right. So what are some of the things that the uh, Lutz family said took place during besides the hot and cold op- doors opening? So, yeah, they, they saw apparently they saw green slime emanating from the walls. Yeah, that could be a, again, that could be a, maybe Mrs. Lutz was not a good uh, homemaker. No. And could not keep a home clean. She couldn't keep it nice and clean. No. Uh, feelings of a, uh, fe- you know, the feeling of a presence looming over them yeah, constantly. Who, who doesn't have that? Um, as we said, infestation of flies, scrapes and banging, um, things of, things of that sort. I yeah. think one of the most outlandish and not out, I shouldn't say outlandish at this point. I should say one of the most uh, extreme or extraordinary cases were when George uh, went outside. He went out to his boathouse yep. uh, to get do some stuff by the boathouse because they lived on a little canal there, a little channel. And he looked up into the daughter Missy's room because mm-hmm. Missy supposedly had an imaginary friend named Jody. That's correct. And uh, Jody was in the form of a pig. Mm-hmm. And I it was you know being very descriptive. You know, quick aside. Yeah. Have you uh, you have children? I have children. Have you ever have any of your children ever had an imaginary friend, or, or spoken to things that aren't there? Not not in an overt sense. Okay, you know, like you know, they play in the rooms, they play with the t- the toys by themselves and things. Well, I can you tell hear you some light chatter. I can tell you that it happened to me. Uh, one of my children, one of uh, my son, actually, I have uh, th- I have four children, three, mm. three daughters and a son. Wow. And my son, when he was a very small, when he was about uh, two or three years old, used to converse with something in his closet, uh, of a uh, of a nature that wasn't visible to the naked eye mm-hmm. and we actually caught him on a couple occasions talking to something in the closet and i asked him one time what do you, what do you who are you talking to and he said them and he pointed into the closet and there was nothing there and i can tell you um even though i've been interested in the paranormal and the the weird and the obscure for many 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 moons it's very unnerving to hear mm. your three-year-old say that so it must be genetic because you yourself have had issues uh, in, in the midst of a half-awake, half-slumber. Well, and one quick story I'd like to tell, if I may. <laughs> sure. So Mike and I um, were in the Marine Corps together, and we were at one of our first duty stations. We were overseas. And for, for some reason, the, Marine, the gods of the Marine Corps <laughs> decided to play a cruel joke on us mm. and place us in the same barracks room. It happened, happened more than once. I don't know why. So we were in close proximity uh, in sleeping quarters. Unfortunately. And I remember specifically one late uh, Okinawan evening, uh, approximately two or three in the morning, and I was startled by the sound of a screaming man. <laughs> and when I, I aroused and found Mike, uh, he jumped to his feet and started screaming, get off of me, get off of me, <laughs> and his hands were flailing about, mm. and he ran to the door to try to get out of the room. Uh, I, I don't know where he was going, and the door was locked, and he couldn't get out. And then he went back to his bed and collapsed yeah. with his knees on the floor and just collapsed half half on the bed, half on the floor. Unfortunately, it happens. And you know what? You did nothing to try to help. I don't. I, I got scared. I thought you were going to come and strangle me to death. It was, it was yeah, bizarre. So, so, so. But you know what? And if I could just back up for just a quick second. And yeah. One of the things, actually speaking about, uh, you know, nights as a youth and, and as a uh, a crazy youth, some of the stuff that happened to Father Pecoraro, uh, let's, here's, you know, bleeding palms, a fever, smelling of excrement. That used to happen to me all the time. Usually after spending a night drinking in, in, in some sort of strange establishment. P- bloody palms? Just, you know, things happen. Yeah. I don't know. It's, they're questionable. But anyway, as we're, sp- as we're speaking about this, a fly just landed on my notes. I swear to God. Oh, my God. A fly. It could be because the back door is open. You know what? You shouldn't just add common sense to this conversation. Oh, I'm sorry. So anyway, so we're talking about uh, uh, some of the things that took place in the Lutz home. Exactly. At 112 Ocean Avenue. So let me get back to my George uh, by the Boathouse story. Oh, yes. And uh, Missy the Pig. Missy the Pig. I'm sorry, not Missy. Jody the Pig. Sorry. Jody. Jody the Pig. So George is out by the Boathouse. He happens to turn and look up back towards the house. And he sees in the window, basically sees a demonic pig 
in in the daughter's room. A normal pig. Exactly. So imagine a life-size demonic red-eyed pig looking at you out the window from your daughter's room. You know what I would say? What's that? That's it. I'm out of here. See you. Good good luck to you. There's no there's no coming back from that, right? (laughs) I mean, why wait 28 days? Well, that's the thing. Okay. And, and I was going to mention this later because there's, there's still a lot of things supposedly that took place in this yeah. home. Any one of these things would have been enough mm. for a normal person to be like, see ya. Uh, I will take the loss on the home. Yeah, exactly. Rather than have my soul eaten by a friggin' demonic pig. So the 28 days progressed. Obviously, the events increased. They became more extreme to the point where at some, there was an incident where uh, George in the middle of the night. Uh, heard and saw a marching band yeah. in his living room. Supposedly. So, And uh, supposedly George himself would wake up about three at 3.15 every morning. Uh, aside from the, you know, and, and, again, I was going to mention this later. I'll mention it now. Suppo- so if, you, if you're a fan of the paranormal, of ghost shows, if, or if anything, supposedly things happen at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Mm. is the time where, you know, if, if something bad's going to happen, uh, supernaturally it's going to happen at 3 a.m., my question to you is, and, and well, the supposed reasoning for that is the exact opposite of the time where Jesus died. Supposedly, Jesus died at 3 p.m. Okay. So, at 3 a.m. would be the inverse. Ah, the so antithesis of it. That's correct. Oh. My question to you is this. So, demons, do they adhere to the uh, Eastern Standard Time or Central Standard Time? I think time? it's Greenwich Mean Time. Do they adhere to that? Yeah. Wouldn't it be at different times all the time? Well, depending on where you live in the world. And then, not only that, the atomic cl- they go by the atomic clock. I nope. mean, so how do we know, how does the demon know to wake up at Because 3? it has an iPhone. It has oh. an iPhone with a... Uh, what, with, what kind of plan he has? I don't know. Unlimited data, I'm sure. <sighs> Nothing but the best. Nope. So George, one of the, another extreme claim was that Kathy, his wife, transformed into an old hag right in front of him. Ah, well, now, who, when doesn't that happen? I mean, if you've been married long enough, <laughs> it does happen. My wife isn't listening, hopefully. So on the last night... You know, George, he felt the presence. It was holding him down. And if anybody knows anything about uh, sleep paralysis, yes. or called, also known as the old hag uh, theory, yes. I don't know if anybody's ever had that happen to, to them, but I I've had it happen to me numerous times. Really? Why don't you describe that? Well, it's 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 a sleep state. It's basically, you know, when, you, when you're when you sleeping and you're in a REM state, rapid eye movement. In a, in Not a, the band, REM. No. Terrible band. Very pretentious. Exactly. Um but when you're in a, a state where you're dreaming, your body basically shuts itself down, so you can't move, you can't harm yourself while you're having but these... But you're usually unconscious at the time. Vivid dreams, right. Around. Exactly. You're sleeping, but your body is basically locked up, so you can't jump out of bed and jump out a window. Well, I, I almost did. But sometimes the, the wires get crossed, uh, so to speak, and you know, you're in the sleep state, but... Or excuse me, you're in a semi-conscious state, but your body is still in that locked-up position. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of like you're kind of awake, and you kind kind of see around the room, but you can't move, and it feels like a heavy presence uh, laying on your chest. Not not some heavy hottie that you found in the bar. That has happened and, and brought home. also many years ago. And then you forgot she was there, and you woke up, and she was ready for some sexy time, and it was just too late for you, and oh. you just oh, this, American this, GI like this, a sexy type. No, 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 they weren't heavy hotties. I, I no. have well, maybe I've I saw a couple. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, so all sorts of so you had sleep paralysis happening. Yep. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting. Supposedly, the family the family claimed that they saw hoof prints in the snow, like a cloven hoofed creature had been stalking about. So it was. Uh, or what couldn't just be like a random? Uh, oh, how goat? about a deer? A that, deer. If you don't live in the woods, deer. Yeah. You know, happen. Oh, and you're getting your your phone went off there. <laughs> phone Put that off. sucker on silent, will you? You know what? This is unprofessional. So anyway. So things like that were happening, and one of the things, supposedly, they found a hidden room that were not in the blueprints of the home behind some shelving in the basement. Right. It was called the Red Room, and if any of you who are into the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey series, 
the red room is where Christian Grey has all of his uh, implements. Oh, he has his toys of he love. Has his, his toys. Oh. And that's where he uh, he takes Anastasia. Mm. And not that I know anything about I haven't this. seen this. No, well, the red room is his room where he has all the fun stuff. Does he bring her in the room? Or yeah. does he just go in and get tools? And no, no, bring no, them no, out? no. That's a great question. No, oh. he actually brings her in there. There's a, there's a bed in there. Oh. And there's things to attach things to. And people. At what point does this guy seem like creepy and like uh Well, you know, there's strange. There's a very famous meme that's deviant. going around. It said uh, the only reason that Fifty Shades of Grey is a love story is because he's a billionaire. If he was a, if he lived in a trailer, it would be a, a yeah. It would be a, an episode. Or if he of, drove a van, it would like be a epi- rusted it Chevy would, van. It would be an episode of Criminal Minds. <clears throat> so the the Lutzes they couldn't take it anymore, um, and in the, on the twenty eighth night they packed up all that crap in the middle of the evening and, well, and left. That's interesting because a lot of a lot of the reports say they didn't pack up. They just left. That's correct. But, but that's actually an interesting note because it, it goes back and forth. Right, but we're talking about the actual claims that they made. So yes. how about we – let's talk a little bit about how the story came to be. Yes. How, how did they – how did this story come to the light, come to the forefront, if you will? Well, I can tell you this, that soon – okay, so those facts that we just described are, as you said, that's the, the reports from George Lutz and the family about what happened in the home. However, what is not – in question is is some of the things that happened afterwards, and that's because we have independent corroboration of what took place. So very soon after moving out, uh, George Lutz contacted a man by the name of uh, Stephen Kaplan. Correct. And Stephen Kaplan was a paranormal investigator and private investigator on Long Island. And and I, I know you want to talk about how the story came about, but this is this is this just happened right after the the family moved out. So they contacted this guy Stephen Kaplan, and. George said, hey, you know, I want you to come and investigate my home. Some weird stuff happened there. And Stephen Kaplan said, okay, you know, uh, I'll fit you in on my, my busy schedule, which right. I'm sure he had. And uh, George Litt said, well, what, you know, what do you, how do I pay you? What, what's your, what's your, what do you charge? And he said, I don't, I don't charge you anything. Mm-hmm. There's no payment involved, which just continues to this day for paranormal investigations. Most of them don't, don't charge you. However, Stephen Kaplan said, if I find out that it's not haunted and you're making all this stuff up, I'm going to make it known right. that you're lying. So soon after that, uh, George called and canceled yeah. the Kaplan yeah, exactly. investigation. He's basically citing the fact that he didn't want any publicity. Right. That's what he said. Right. So, uh, and actually, it was only a few days after that they actually left the house that they set up a meeting with William Weber. That's William correct. Weber, who was DeFeo's lawyer, who we talked about earlier. When we said would be important to appar- write that note. Later. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, Weber was going to write, himself was going to write a book um, that had nothing to do with the Lutzes initially. He was just right. going to write a book about De- about the DeFeo murders and that sort of thing. And right. then the Lutzes contacted him. And well, he's, supposedly yeah. George Lutz contacted William Weber because he he felt bad that George, uh, excuse me, that Butch DeFeo was going to go to prison for the rest of his life when it could possibly not have been his fault. Exactly. That it could have been the fault of the demonic presences that were making him do it. So that's supposedly why he contacted right. William Right. They wanted Weber. to give a DeFeo another shot at a trial, claiming that demons overtook him uh, to kill his family. But it's interesting that William Weber would make an appearance in our narrative yet again. He does. So William Weber meets with the Lutz family. And then also right around this same time, uh, the Lutz family or George Lutz, I'm not sure if it was the family or just George himself, big George contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren, Mm. who are very famous in the paranormal world and are actually very famous now uh, because of a couple of things that are going on currently. So let's just let's quickly just let's sure. let's close out the thing with William, William Weber let's, quick before we jump into that. Let's so let's do that. So I guess the original claims when they spoke with Weber were the fact that they just basically said that they had a feeling of uneasiness in the home. And as we know, that all <laughs> uh, kind of went 
beyond that, uh, over several bottles of wine, apparently, they sat down. That's correct. And discussed all the intricate stories of the case. They started looking at crime scene photos. And every time there was a photo that came up, they thought of an idea or, or something to explain, something that they saw in the picture or the photo. And then all these other ideas started coming coming through. So at the end of a drunken conversation, they went from explaining that the house had some weird feelings in it to this full-blown, this is the most haunted house I've ever heard of in my life story. That's right. And and it's this this is not conjecture because this is actually William Weber in ni- 1979 admitted I think it was to People magazine that they made up the story of the Amityville horror him and the Lutz family after the fact after they had already moved out and right. and there's a couple of reasons why I would get to in a little bit but supposedly they made it all up right so the deal fell through with Weber and then shortly after that what Mike was talking about is there was a uh, they had a paranormal investigation with the Warrens, if you want to talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so, okay. So, and actually, this a lot of this is coming from the perspective of Stephen Kaplan, the original investigator that they had, the paranormal investigator that they had uh, attempted to contract uh, contra- uh, contract with, because he actually was, a, uh, was monitoring the news one day and saw that there was a camera crew uh, at the home at 112 Ocean Avenue and went over to check it out. And what he saw was a full-blown seance being taken place right. in front of cameras in, uh, involving Ed and Lorraine Warren. And if you remember, the reason that they didn't want Kaplan to investigate their house was supposedly because they didn't want media attention. Well, how much more media attention can you get yeah, exactly. than that? So Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, let's talk a little bit about them. So they are probably the most, a couple of the most famous paranormal folks of, all, of, of the recent decades. And supposedly have been investigating the paranormal since the 50s and 60s, and uh, they've gained a lot of notoriety over the years. Uh, they've actually were, have been featured in a couple of movies. They were, they were featured in The Conjuring, mm-hmm. which is actually a very good movie. Have you seen The Conjuring? No. You didn't see it? No, I, I, no, I try to avoid those Well, let me tell movies. you, uh, a lot of movies don't scare me. The Conjuring scared me. Oh. It had some, some disturbing imagery in it. Uh, I, I found it was a very good movie. doesn't mean it was it was true, right. but it, was, it, it just was a very good movie. Anyway, Ed and Lorraine Warren are featured in The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2. Uh, you've seen them around. Actually, Ed Ed Warren passed away several years ago. Mm-hmm. Lorraine's still kicking around. She's got to be old. Yeah, she's old. But you know what? You'll still see her on these paranormal shows, and they trot her out, and she comes oh, yeah, in yeah. and does her little thing. And we're going to talk a little bit about... And psych- people bend the knee to her. Well, that's what I was going to say. So, so, And she's developed this this uh, cult of personality, if you will, over mm. the years of being the go-to person in, in, the, in the field. And a lot of it is based on supposedly what she found during the Amityville case. So what we just told you was they made it up. Right. So you have you have a no a non-starter. So the, the seance that you were talking about that actually really nothing happened well during the seance. Well, except it, for one interesting point that I think you're going to well, make. Well, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You can make it if I don't. But what I was going to tell you is this is one of the occurrences of of um, psychic supposed psychic phenomenon that I find very interesting. So I'm not saying that there are no psychics because I believe that there are. I believe there are people who have psychic abilities. We've spoken to some in the past that are very convincing mm-hmm. or that we've seen do things and so on. So I know that there's some people who have something. However, they've actually created the perfect uh, scam, if you will. Right. Because you can't prove one way or another what they're saying because it would, it's all internal. So a psychic like Lorraine Warren will say, this house is um, affected with demons and I just saw one, mm-hmm. and they're angry, and so on. How can you prove or disprove what she just said? Right. Because she, you can't see what she saw, right. and you can't prove she didn't. But see, this, this it all goes back to, uh, you know, we kind of describe ourselves as skeptical believers, and the reason why we're trying to debunk 
the greatest uh, paranormal case of all time is because it discredits actual paranormal events that have taken place and people that are doing actual investigations. Right. Right. So supposedly at the at the during the seance that was conducted uh, with with Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, she determined that the house sat on a piece of land that was once owned by the Shinnecock Indians. Well, we don't we, the Indians didn't own land. They just inhabited land. Right. They didn't believe in land ownership and they still don't, I don't think. But uh, supposedly the Shinnecock Indians had that piece of land reserved for their sick and insane members of the tribe. And they right. would put them there as kind of segregate them from the rest of the of the tribe. And as a result of that, there was a lot of uninterred bodies, mm-hmm. unburied Indian bodies in that area. And the land was itself was cursed. There was supposedly a very angry Indian chief who was upset that the white man was living on the land. And anyway, this all came out supposedly during the seance. Right. What's the, the problem with that theory, though? Well, the problem with that theory is that subsequent research proved that the Shinnecock Indians never inhabited that piece of land. They were hundreds of, of miles away. They, they were, yes, they were many, many miles away. And actually, the closest was, I think, 70 or 80 miles away down on Long Island. And um, there was never any proof that there was any bodies there. There was never any, any cemeteries right. or anything like that. I, I don't think it was even customary in their nah. culture to segregate people of their own populace you know what i mean well that's what that's why if you're if you're a budding fake psychic you should take note don't ever say anything specific that can be researched and yeah not only that but everybody invokes the spirit of the indian sure you You ever notice that oh yeah this is the native american burial burial ground because people assume indians were everywhere which yeah you know they were but certain tribes were in certain locations and not only that why is an indian dead body more menacing than a regular dead or or a european american or a african-american or what is it about the Indian burial ground that makes it worse? So before we get to the break, I'm just going to mention, I guess apparently one of the um, actual um, tangible things that came out of the se- uh, came out of that seance was there was a photograph, because there were a lot of photographs taken of, of the house During internally and externally. Right. And supposedly there, and I think you can find it online still, and if I find it, I'll post it on our Facebook page, but it's the, it's a, the creepy picture of a little boy. With the glow-in-the-dark eyes? Yeah, like yeah. At the top of the stairs near one of the it's bedrooms. It's actually a pretty good picture. It is a good picture if, it, if it's authentic, um, which supposedly there were no kids in the house at the time. And, and it, supposedly that was the kid, one of the kids who was murdered, one of the, right. one of the, one of the DeFeo children. Right, so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the famous Jay Anson book. We're going to talk about who he was and how he got involved in the Amityville case. So stay tuned. All right, stop, collaborate, and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop, yo? I don't know. Turn off the light and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom Deadly when I play a dope melody Anything less than the best is a felony Love it or leave it, you better gain weight You better hit the bullseye, the kid don't play If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it Ice, vanilla ice Vanilla 
party is jumping with the bass kicked in and the Vegas are pumping. Quick to the point, to the point, no faking. I'm cooking MCs like a pound of bacon, burning them if they're not quick and nimble. I go crazy when I hear a cymbal and a hi hat with a souped up tempo. I'm on a roll, it's time to go solo. Rolling in my 5.0 and my rag top down so my hair can't blow. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Ice, vanilla ice. Ice, ice, baby. back to the Eon Project with Mike and Jay. That was an interesting little musical number there. What did you think of that, Mike? It was, uh, it was great. It was good? You liked it? Uh, I, I, I enjoyed the, uh, the sub-score. Yeah, what do you think of the... So I'm a big fan of acoustic versions of... Uh, different acoustic versions of songs that you wouldn't ever think of. Of popular music. Popular songs that would never have an acoustic version to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like that, such as IE rap songs or, right. or uh, you know, things like that. So uh, I just yeah, that was no, my that was my own little take you know what, on that. Well, it's song. funny that whenever you uh, whenever you take a an established song and you do and you present it in a different way, yeah, you it, it takes on a whole different uh, a whole v- different vibe, vibe different and feel. It, sure, and especially playing it live, it just really gets people's attention. You know what I mean? It is, and I like to hear music that's uh, different. Absolutely. So why don't yeah. you get into your uh, sip and so, win? So I got my sip and win cup from my from my giant. Uh, Black coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, and and last week I started a tradition where I'm gonna I'm gonna try to win. They have this game where you gotta peel the little sticker off and see if you've won. So I'm gonna do it here on the air. Yeah, uh, we're gonna take bets on uh, if I win or not. Ready? All right, get it up to the mic so we can hear it. Okay, here we go. So you didn't win last week. What did what did you get this time? You are not an instant winner. <laughs> <laughs> I so think for, it's as a scam, man. So for your loyalty and your uh, monetary support of mm-hmm. the company, mm-hmm. you get nothing. Although. Today, I did myself go to Dunkin' Donuts. Did you? And I got myself, because you know, it's that time of the year. It's fall. It's yeah. getting into fall. Sure. It's, it's getting into the uh, the festive it's a time warm, of year. But yeah. Pumpkins and, and changing colors and things like that. Yep. So, I, you know what I got today? I got a, uh, a toasted bagel. Yep. With pumpkin uh, cream. You just said sp- pumpkin. Pumpkin cream cheese spread. How was that? Oh, my God. It was like a, an explosion of autumn in my mouth. Aren't you sick of the pumpkin spice? No. Pumpkin I, spice I, everything. That's my first pumpkin of the year. It was delicious. It was so yeah. good. I went to a second Dunkin' Donuts down the road <laughs> and get another one. You didn't want to go to the same one. So I didn't. You, you didn't want to appear gluttonous. I didn't. Oh. But it was good. Well, before we get back into the Amityville horror case, I wanted to discuss uh, some paranormal-related stuff that I saw on television this past week. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've been watching it. So if you're not familiar with it, there's a show, and I believe it's on A&E, and it's called The Low Files, and it's starring... Uh, Rob Lowe. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. He's the, got his kids with him, right? That's correct. The famous 80s actor Rob Lowe. And the uh, premise of the show is that he's always been a fan of the paranormal and the weird and, and all that stuff. Is, like, Can I just a, say Rob Lowe is a handsome older he is, man? He's a, you know what? He doesn't age. He I'm looks not the say, same. I, 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 I say this with a staunch record of heterosexuality. Yeah. He's a handsome dude. Yeah. Uh, he seems like a nice guy. Too. When you watch the show, and I don't know if this is contrived, mm. he's a very good actor, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. But anyway, the premise of the show is that he, he's a big fan of all that stuff, and he travels around um, visiting different places and experiencing different things with his kids. He's got two grown kids, one mm-hmm. is one is in college and one of them is about to go to college, something along those lines. Anyway, uh, they've done a couple of different things, they did a ghost show, they did a UFO show, and then this past one that I, and I don't know if it's the latest one, was the last one I saw. So they supposedly go, they go look for Sasquatch. 
Okay, oh. they go to look for Bigfoot. Okay, in the hills uh, of the Pacific Northwest. Mm. Okay, so they go out with this guy. He's got, it's got to be a it's got to be made up, man, because they they go out with this guide. Supposedly, he's got a beard and he's got the long hair and he looks like a so he looks like the big, a mountain Bigfoot man. Guy. Yeah, yeah. So and, and you know he lives off the grid and he's oh. one of these guys, right? Anyway, so they go in the woods and this guy starts yelling these supposed Sasquatch calls oh. into into the night. They go out in the middle of the night. So how do we know what they sound like for sure? That's well, that's problem number one. Okay. So you don't know what what they sound like. Yeah. So everything's deathly quiet. He he yells down and, and he's like he makes a science of it. He's like, oh, you know, I get you got to position yourself between a mountain and a valley so that the sound will carry and the Sasquatches will. He's hear. got a lot of time on his hands. Way too much time. So he he does the into the night. Wow. Right. I thought I thought Harry was in here with us. And. Uh, Nothing happens. Okay. okay. So they move, they they go down, they drive in there, and there's no product placement here. It's a Ford Raptor, you oh, know, those are nice. $60,000 trucks. Yeah. It's a really nice truck. And they keep showing the Ford logo as they drive, drive through the woods. <laughs> anyway, so they drive to another spot, and they yell, and they get back in the car, and nothing's happening. But my question is this. Have, have you ever been in the woods? Oh, I've been in the woods uh, numerous times. Of course you have. Many people, most people at some point have been in the woods. And if you've ever been in the woods, you know that creatures live in the woods, right? They do. There's some creatures in there. Yep. So if you're screaming at the top of your lungs and something screams back at you or, or you hear a noise, does that mean it's a Sasquatch? Yes. Or could that mean that it's one of the mil, uh, thousands of other creatures that it no. probably is? It, it's, it's, a, it's a Sasquatch when you're filming a Sasquatch TV mm-hmm. show. It's a Sasquatch. Right. Yes. So, and then... <laughs> We've actually had some personal experiences with. Um, this actually wasn't Large even hairy beasts. No, this oh. wasn't even Sasquatch. We, we were we went and this was many years ago. We went with a a, uh, a paranormal team on an investigation in a wooded site. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but um, I try to forget. Supposedly, the ghosts there would throw rocks at you mm. uh, when you were out there. So, you know, everyone would be standing around in a circle. And then you would hear something fall in the woods, and they would all exclaim, "That's the ghost throwing rocks at us." Yeah, not. You know, this is a forest, and things fall, and, an and there's animals. An or acorn fell out of the tree. No, no, no. no. This the, the the clear explanation is. And they would point the to the ground and go, "Look, there's the rock." Look, and there's like a, a rock. hundred rocks on the ground. That, that's you're a, in ghost, a rocky trail. Ghostly touched rock. Mm. I'm sorry. So anyway, the low files. That was a low point in my life. The low <laughs> the low files is a interesting show. It's entertaining. Not much is gained by watching it. There's not a whole lot of uh, of closure to anything. But it's interesting. Unless you'd like to look at Rob Lowe. He's a good-looking okay. dude. I yeah. like the truck he drives. I wish I had. I mm. wish I had one. If Ford is listening and yeah. they want to provide us with a an Eon Project Ford Raptor oh, that we yeah. would drive around in. We could put our little uh, fridge magnet on the side. We would put our little fridge magnet on. I would be proud to, to drive the Ford Raptor around. That would be awesome. Anyway. All right. So let's get back into the Amityville case and the, the known book. Because it first was a book. That's correct. So, Most people don't realize that. Yeah, so a book by, the, by, by a man by the name of Jay Anson. So, conveniently enough, in May of 1976, the Lutzes moved to Los Angeles. Wow, that is convenient. From New York. So, obviously, the... You've been to Los Angeles, haven't you? Oh, uh, yeah. It's not a, not a great place. So, Hollywood, obviously, nearby, is uh, you know the place where you'd go if you wanted to make a movie or a book. So, they, they get in contact with a gentleman by the name of Jay Anson, mm-hmm. which, Jay, it's a nice, strong name. Jay. Yeah. And he's an author. He's a screenwriter. He had done a number of works. Does he write on screens? He does. And so they they got a hold of him, and they subsequently, you know, decided to come up with a book deal. Aha! Uh-huh. So they had Jay Anson write the book. And of course, this the, the proceeds from this book were all, were all going to go to charity. Exactly. Right. They're going to go help uh, families tortured by demons. Um, okay. Native American demons. Mm-hmm. 
But here, here's one of the issues. Now, if you're investigating and you're going to claim that this book is true, wouldn't you yourself do due diligence and go? Well, if you're the author, you would think check so. out the property, sure. things of that sort. Try to corroborate some of the stories. <laughs> he never went there. Okay. He never went to the house. He never visited the property, mm-hmm. as far as anybody can recall. And there's over a hundred inaccuracies in the book. And well, basic stuff too, like the layout of the house, <laughs> um, how many rooms there were, things like that. Well, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because the Jay Anson book, The Amityville Horror, in its first printing, which was back in the seventies. Um, actually says it on the cover based on actual events. Now, we all know today that based on actual events could mean a million different things. Mm. It usually means that it's not true at all, uh, or, or it's par- maybe maybe the names are the right people, but a lot of the events are not the same. But back in the 70s, if you put true story on something, most people generally believe that it was a true story. All right. And for the part three of this three-part episode, we're going to replay a an interview with a, we did with a gentleman by the name of Rick Moran, who was a journalist and investigator who was there as this stuff was all happening back in the 70s. During the he, murders. Correct. And he himself investigated the murders and the claims of, of the Lutzes. And you're going to hear in detail what he what he discovered. Very uh, interesting that. guy. Very interesting guy. But a lot of the things in the book just didn't add up. Um, you know, some of the things we talked about earlier as far as the Native Americans were concerned, there's no proof that any of that is true. Um, they never found any bodies on the property. Um, even the priest, Father Pecoraro, his story, even though he was a priest and he's supposed to not lie, mm-hmm. a lot of his stories, there was a lot of inaccuracies. His story changed a lot over the years. So, Well, actually, he had to, t- and I'm not sure if you were going to discuss this, but he had to testify in a civil trial mm-hmm. uh, regarding the uh, re- regarding this case because what happened was, and, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this or not, but the, the people who moved in after the Lutzes actually sued Jay Anson and the Lutzes right. for creating this story because it created a... Uh, a circus around their home. They were actually known as the Cromartis, the Cromarty family. Right. So they actually, anyway, the, the reason I mentioned it is because Father Pecoraro was was uh, subpoenaed to testify mm. in a trial and actually admitted during the trial that none of that stuff happened to him. He he did get a general feeling of of unease in the building right. or in the house, but that's it. But that just goes to the, you know, the power of suggestion, right? I mean, you know what happened in the home. Sure. And you're being called in there to do a blessing. Right. And so you're upstairs in the attic by yourself. You're going to feel yeah. a little weird. You know, it happens. Um, yeah. So, and one of the one of the interesting myths is that once they left after the 28 days, when they packed up all their goods in the middle of the night and took off, is that they never came back. However, that's not true. Not true. Because they came back the next day and started setting up for a yard and they sale. Did a yard sale. And right, they started because, selling their stuff. Because when I flee from a home fearing for the souls of my family, I yeah. want to come back the next day and do a yard sale there. Yeah, no, Mike, Mike talked earlier, too, about the basement and supposedly the basement was dark and creepy and there was a red room down there. Um, also an inaccuracy, right? So the basement was a right. finished basement. That's right. Um, you know, it's seventies finished style though, you know, with the dark paneling. Sure. So when I was a kid, my, we had a finished basement. I like the dark panel. And it was, it was weird. It had like a Spanish galleon theme to it. <laughs> they were like, they were like, uh, <laughs> those, those ornate pedestals. It was pedestals. Things. They were axes on the wall. Yes. Like it looked like a pe- medieval banquet hall. Patinaed axes. Mm. And there was like, uh, sharp pointy lights was that and done things. on purpose all that was done on purpose. yeah they did and they had like faux stone on the wall and stuff you know, like I, that i know your parents uh, yeah. very well and, yeah. and they are some some fun loving folk i yeah. have to tell you uh they were just fun, always looking for fun and having people over and, and entertaining 
Just nice people. I guess that was the style back then. So we had the axe on the wall, but we also had raging drinking parties. My parents did. So mm. how one of the axes never got picked up and used? I was gonna say there was there was there was, there was, was no aggravated well, incident. Was of shocking, but attempted murder. In anyway, so the the red room, which supposedly was like a mysterious red room that wasn't on the blueprints. Well, actually, all it was really was a cubby hole. I don't know if you've seen, like, in some of these houses where you go down the stairs. There's something under the stairs. There's a little closet underneath yeah, the stairs. I used to have one, one of my yeah. homes. When so I was that's a kid. basically what it was. And the reason it was painted red is because, if you, I don't know if you guys remember Big Ronnie from the story last week, the, the yes. patriarch of the home. The guy who smells like soup. That's, that's all they had for paint at the time. <laughs> and he gave paintbrushes to the kids and said, hey, go in there and have, have fun with it. And they painted the room red. So basically, what they did was they took a lot of, they took a lot of seemingly innocuous things and just a- amplified them to create this narrative. Of a story. That's correct. So why why would they do this? You think though? Well, I can think of a reason why. Why is that? Money, maybe. No, usually that's that's Fame. A, it's a pretty good uh, motivating factor for a lot of people, monetary gains. And and if you listen to and George and Kathy have passed since passed on, but um, you can listen to interviews with George and he maintained his story uh, over the years. Well, he had, didn't. Towards the end, he admitted that it was embellished. He never he never came out and said it was made up. Right. But he came out and said it was embellished. I think he'll also say that they didn't make a whole lot of money off of it, which I don't know how true that is. Well, they actually got a percentage of Jay Anson's book, which was a which was a sell was a bestseller. So right. I'm sure they got some money for right. it. Right. In a year after the book came out, the movie was was released and also was a was a huge hit. Yeah, the movie was the movie came out uh, back in the uh, in the eighties, I believe, early eighties, uh, starring James Brolin and Margot Kidder. Who was also in? Um, she played uh, Lois Lane, right? That's correct. She played. Yeah. I never thought she was an attractive woman. Nah, me either. Mousy. They could have. Uh, they could have come up with a better Lois Lane, just like the uh, the new Superman movie, the Superman Batman. Have you seen that? Yeah, the Dawn of, Dawn Justice, of Justice or whatever. Yes. So I, I I had just seen it recently. Who is Lois Lane? It's Amy uh, Adams. Amy Adams. I, I like Amy Adams. Nah, no, she's not a good Lois Lane. She's okay. But you know what? One thing that was mysterious about that movie that I just watched recently. Uh, ben Affleck is Batman. He sucks yeah, real he's, bad. He's pretty bad about that, but. No, remember a few weeks ago we were talking about shaving habits? Yes. So I noticed there was a part in the movie. Uh, uh, you, do you remember the movie at all? Uh, yeah, kind of. There's a part where uh, Superman slash Clark Kent decides he's going to go on a, uh, he's trying to, he's soul searching. He's trying to find himself. Yes. So he he climbs up a mountain. It looks like he's in the middle of the Himalayas or uh-huh. something. And he's just wandering up the mountain with, you know, not not really dressed for the weather. Did the he cold have a weather. Sherpa with him or was he carrying nope. his own junk? He's by himself and he ran into his father on top of the mountain. But anyway, oh. <laughs> you know what I noticed? Wasn't his father Kevin Costner? Yeah. Yeah. So he had a five o'clock shadow. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, how does, how does shave? Superman shave? He must have to have. Like he, like Dollar Shave Club isn't going to work. Nope. The Gillette's not going to work. You know what? He probably needs a shaver with a, a very, like a fine layer of kryptonite Ooh. to get through just the, the stubble. But not enough to hurt him. Yeah, but that'd be playing with fire, though, wouldn't it? What if he accidentally cut himself? Yeah, he could kill himself shaving. I don't know how he would shave. I don't know. That's interesting. How would he go to the bathroom? What kind of plumbing can take care of Superman's turds? Does he come out at supersonic speed? Yeah, you think? he's he can't just go poo in a normal toilet. Oh. It would just destroy everything. Imagine if he went to poo in a toilet and like in a big building that all the all the plumbing is connected. And if he was on the top floor, everybody would be killed. Oh my god! There would be poo flowing through all the pipes. Yeah, not super, good. Super poo. It would be everywhere. I wonder if there's a way. He must be able to control it, though, no? No, maybe he doesn't go to the bathroom. He doesn't have any velocity, control the velocity of it? You know, I, I this know. is a family show, but I was going to say, how does he have uh, uh, marital relations mm. with Lois Lane without killing her? There's got to be some sort of uh, protective measures, some sort of prophylactic that he has to put on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Kryptonite-lined uh, Kryptonite rubber. Kryptonite-lined uh, lambskin. Safety. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Shortly after that, well, the next family that moved into the to 112 Ocean Avenue, as I stated earlier, was the Cromartie family. And the Cromartie family uh, 
never reported anything ever happening there. Right. Um, and and the, I believe the house is the house is still there. Yep. The people living in it currently. They actually changed the address though. They did change the address. They didn't want people just showing up there randomly and having strange uh, things going on in the front lawn. Right. And you know the creepy distinct windows uh, that you see in the movie. Also, apparently they changed a lot of the outside. So if you drove by, you probably wouldn't even know but, um, what house it, so, it was. So something that you touched on earlier, and 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 we talked about it, is Ed and Lorraine Warren that, that has basically staked their reputation. Actually, we we are we know a person who, through a loose connection uh, mm. with the Warrens, likes to claim that they were part of this investigation and all that. Um, but if if it's been deemed as being false by several inaccuracies, uh, by the people themselves, by the uh, William Weber, the attorney who admitted they made up the whole story, how do you get past that as a paranormal investigator that you've you've de- you've decreed that this is a haunted house right this is haunted this all stuff happened it's terrible in there it comes out that it's false what do you do you have to stick with your story you do you have to stay with it because because once your credibility is questioned one time right that's it you, you you've lost it and you can't get it back so you still have these people who are they hold these the warrens up as these um i don't know the ultimate paranormal investigators when in actuality one of the cornerstones of their careers was nothing right so, and so and in and being that that was the most extreme uh you know claims and cases and famous cases of all time where do you go from there right right you only have to keep going up i mean you can't up and up and up you can't say you've never you know what i mean like at that point you go well that was the only thing we ever found anywhere <laughs> so that's why they they get you know they get involved in all these other cases anyway and i'm just like very that. suspicious of, of people who claim to have psychic abilities that nothing they ever do can be proven one way or the other. Mm. There needs to be some sort of proof to me, uh, whether it's whether it's uh, verifiable information that they give you, or uh, something that's experienced by somebody else that's an independent observer, something like that. Like I could say all day long, I have uh, you know I have X-ray vision. As a matter of fact, I'm looking through your clothing as a, as we speak well, right you. now. What do you see? And I do it all the time. I just every time I see somebody, they don't they don't have clothes on. I just they're just naked. But it's too late because you've already seen them. But it's normal for me because I've it's, you've it's learned been happening to, you've since learned I've been born. To deal with it. That's correct. Oh. All right, so <clears throat> that was an interesting episode. Um, you know, any any feedback, uh, interest, or anything that you'd like to, to mention to us is is greatly appreciated. You know what I would tell people though? Yeah. Steer away from the remake that was made. Uh, I think it was like two thousand five. Yeah, I mean it was even more outlandish than the original. It was, and actually, the remake delves further into the fake mythology about the. Uh, the Native Americans, and it, it, right. it involves people, a man by the name of Jeremiah Ketchum, which Whoa. is a made-up person. Actually, th- there was a there person was, by that yeah. name, but he didn't live anywhere near there, and it was... Yeah, so, I mean, we're, like we said earlier, we're not trying to burst any bubble, anybody's bubble on this. It's a good you know, story. Read the book, see the movie, you know, yeah. it's good for entertainment purposes. However, you know, we want actual true, true-to-life cases. Investigators are actually doing true and good work, which you're going to hear next week when, we, when I play the inter- we play the interview with Rick Moran, who was a, uh, obviously there at the very, very beginnings when all this have, this happened. Right. So also, uh, not next next show, but the show after that, or possibly within the next month, we're going to have another uh, special guest on the line. All right. Um, I don't have all the details yet, but it's another uh, paranormal guest. They have some experiences they'd like to share and some supposedly some abilities that, um, that they have uh psychic abilities i Ooh. believe so we'll, we'll talk to them uh, as well and in the meantime if you have any feedback or want to talk to us right so we go to our website which actually we got a, we've had a lot of activity on our website I, I changed the format slightly you can see pictures of jay and i on there now yeah well you can see them before but they're better now how do we look uh pretty pretty dapper yeah um so you go to our website it's the eonproject.com that's t-h-e-e-o-n project.com you can also uh, find us on twitter and on facebook 
And uh, we still have a bunch of magnets to give away. We gave away a couple. We did. I want to mention loyal listener WC uh, sent us a nice um, email message nice. talking about how he liked the show, what he liked about the show. And so he got his prize. Oh, good. Nice. I, yeah, go ahead. yeah, no, I put out there on Facebook that uh, we're giving away prizes, and uh, he claimed his prize. I sent it to him. Yes. It's in the mail. He should be getting it shortly. Oh, and uh, I'm going to send one out to you, Christine, for sending us the most melodious and malodorous sounding fart of all times. Absolutely. So until next time, just remember, the truth exists. Believe it.